0: God's promises have been impossible from the very start. It all begins with nothingness, emptiness, formless void. How could nothingness lead to somethingness? Impossible, right? And then, bang, there is light and there is life and there is God's spirit hovering over the waters. Millennia go by And an old man and his barren wife, Abram and Sarai, are told to go who knows where, for who knows what reason. And somehow these childless two are supposed to be the parents of a people more numerous than the stars, a great nation that will bless the whole world. And despite their doubts, the spirit remains with them, unseen, unheard but not inactive, and their son passes the story and the promise along to his family. A few generations later, there are 12 sons, a far cry from all the stars in the heavens, but at least it seems like God's promise has some chance of happening. Then one of those boys, Joseph, disappears, and when a famine strikes the land, it seems as though this family's hope is lost. It might be hard to see the Spirit's work in this story, too. But at the last moment, Joseph shows up in just the right position to save his family, the ones who hold this promise from God, moving them into Egypt and telling them it's only a temporary stay. As the years go by, the family grows bigger and bigger, but they also become less powerful, until they're under the thumb of a hard-hearted dictator in Egypt who has no memory of their family's honor. The land that had saved them has become a land that oppresses and enslaves them. The reality to which they awake each morning is one in which it is impossible to imagine that promise coming true. That is until a man named Moses, a murderer, sees a vision of the Spirit in a burning bush. The Spirit's guidance and direction lead Moses to liberate these people from their cruel bondage, setting them on a course for freedom. But unfortunately, that course is very complicated. They face many difficulties, many setbacks. They face so many hardships along this journey that their hope focuses not on this wonderful promise, but just on mere survival. In spite of them losing their way, they receive word that they will become great, that they will become a blessing to the world, no matter how impossible it seems. But they have to start acting like a chosen people, and they have to spend some time wandering first. Rather than easy assurance, They get directions that permeate every aspect of their lives, down to the very threads on their clothing. This is the law. And it's not just arbitrary rules. It's a reminder of this promise from God, this promise that they will bless the whole world. With every bite of food that they take, with every step they take, the people are reminded of those words from the Spirit from so long ago. I will bless you and will make your name great. Sadly, these people, like us, are a forgetful bunch, and it isn't long before they're doing things that violate the terms of that agreement. For a while, when things get bad, the Spirit raises up women and men known as judges to call the people back to that promise. This goes on for years until the people ask God, for a permanent leader, a king. The promise seems impossible without one. After all, how can they be a great nation without a ruler? How can they be a blessing when they fall so easily into depravity? Well, despite some reservations on God's part and a sketchy first attempt, the people do get their king, David, and the Lord ends up really liking him. The promise is even expanded. Someone from David's line will always sit on the throne. Yet another reminder that this tiny nation is meant to bless the whole world. The people build the temple as a tangible, visible reminder of that seemingly impossible promise. But the monarchy is made up of human beings, and they aren't perfect The kingdom is made up of the families of those 12 sons who had always squabbled and fought amongst themselves. And eventually the kingdom splits in two. From time to time, they even battle with one another. And so the spirit must do something new. The spirit begins to call prophets. A prophet's job is to remind people of God's promises and the appropriate human responses. Despite the prophet's efforts, one of the kingdoms falls and then the other kingdom does. The temple is destroyed and the people of the south are carried off into exile in Babylon. One of those people who was taken into exile is the prophet Ezekiel, whose words Howie read to us this morning. Ezekiel is faced with a situation in which the promises made thousands of years ago Promises that seemed impossible at the beginning, promises that seemed too good to be true, are turning out to be just that. The exile was one of the most traumatic events in Jewish history. The land was supposed to remind people of God's promise. The king was supposed to remind people of God's promise. The temple was supposed to remind people of God's promise. And now all those things are gone, and the people are left despondent, utterly alone. We can hear their anguish and pain in the words of Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors had asked us for songs, our tormentors Demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? Ezekiel is one of those people in exile, utterly devastated that the promise really is impossible after all. And it is to such a devastated person that the Spirit shows a battlefield full of dry bones, and asks, Is it possible for these bones to get up and walk? Now Ezekiel knows full well, as do you and I, that bones cannot live. And yet, not wanting to give the wrong answer, he shrugs and says to the Lord, You know better than I do. I think the spirit caught on to his skepticism Because in the vision that follows, she says, in essence, you think it's impossible for me to restore my people from exile? Oh, no, no. I'm going to do something far more impossible than that. Not only am I going to restore the bones and sinew and flesh, I am going to return my breath, my spirit, to these bones, and they are going to live. I keep my promises, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you on your own soil, and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. And the Spirit does act, restoring the people to their land, aiding them in rebuilding the temple. And centuries later, when the people have begun to go astray yet again, God chooses to put on flesh and be born into this world. It seems impossible that a baby could be a savior. It seems impossible that a simple carpenter could lead people to a renewal of their faith in that ancient promise. It seems impossible that a man who was crucified, dead, and buried could really be the promised Messiah. It seems impossible that his followers, human as they were, could spread that message to every corner of the globe. And what about the things that seem impossible to us today? It seems impossible that peace could ever prevail in the Middle East, the land God promised to those people so long ago. It seems impossible that the church could have an impact on this world, Especially with all the surveys coming out saying that the number of nuns, people who claim no religious affiliation, and and the duns, people who are finished with church altogether, are constantly on the rise. Or maybe it's something more personal that seems impossible that the relationship can be saved, that the job will ever get better, that forgiveness can be offered. That healing will happen. And yet, whenever we gather for worship, we celebrate the reality that at each of those moments in the past and in each moment of our lives, the Spirit is at work. It may be hard to see or hear her, but she is there, making a way where it seems there is no way at all, guiding us toward that promise. And what is the promise? Let's remember that. Certainly it's not that we'll get everything that we want or that we'll always be comfortable or that we'll be spared from hardship or suffering. No, the promise is that the spirit will be with us in all those things and that the painful things of our lives will never have the last word because God's love is always the last word. The promise for all of us is life. So when you think you are staring at undeniable, incontrovertible proof that God's promise has been false, when you can't imagine how things could ever work out the way you expected or hoped, when there's nothing left to cling to and you feel utterly bereft, remember those ancient words, words that still have life in them today. I shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live. God keeps these promises, even though they have been impossible from the very start. Amen.